Before this week's podcast, I want to tell you about Starting Out. It's Digiday's latest podcast hosted by our very own Shireen Badhag. We talk to leaders in the marketing industry about the ideas that inform their prominent voices and big decisions in the business today. We have guests like HP's Antonio Lucio, GE's Linda Boff, and agency leaders like Jeff Goodby on the show. Find out more at digiday.com or subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Anchor.fm. Hello and welcome to Digiday Live, our podcast where we bring you the best sessions from our many summits around the world. I'm Aditi Sangul and this episode is a session from the Digiday Video Summit that we recently held in Scottsdale, Arizona. Video publishers are now realizing that there is no guaranteed jackpot at the end of the video rainbow. So what do the new strategies look like? Viacom's Kelly Day will talk about how the new digital studios are rethinking the giant network's approach to digital and social platforms. Listen in. Kelly, thanks for joining us. Um, uh, I'd like to start with uh, Viacom Digital Studios. What, what is it? Uh, Viacom Digital Studios is about exactly what it sounds like. It is a digital studio designed to uh, take advantage of the brands that Viacom has, MTV, Nickelodeon, BET, Comedy Central, and thinking about how to, how to deliver content to an audience uh, under these brands in a different way, a way that lives outside of linear television. So. But, but what's different about, I guess, what Digital Studios is versus what Viacom might have been doing beforehand? Is it all just now you bring all the brands together? Were they siloed before? Like, what's, what's changed with the creation of this division? Um, a bunch of things. So I think, you know, like most television networks, um, Viacom's primary business for, you know, many, many, many years has been linear television. And over the last 10 years, as platforms like Facebook and uh, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat have continued to grow, Viacom has had an active presence on those platforms. Um, we now have hundreds of millions of followers across all of these, lot, lots of likes and, and tweets and retweets and things like that. But a lot of what uh, the company had been doing prior to this was really about how do you leverage that audience to market linear TV. And those of you who have worked in this environment or have worked in a company that owns linear television networks knows that uh, using your social media handles to market linear TV is pretty challenging. Um, and so Viacom Digital Studios has a completely different mission, which is to really focus on how do we talk to audiences, how do we build real engagement to to what the, my, my predecessor was talking about, but how do you build like a real relationship and a real conversation um, with audiences on the platforms that they're already spending time on? And if they end up going and watching more linear TV, that's great, um, but that isn't the primary mission of the team. 
So uh, how big is the team, really quickly? Almost 300 people. You have almost 300 people, yeah. and I was all content? Like, how, how, how is the, it's, I guess? It's heavily creative-driven. Mm -hmm. um, so the majority of the team, about two-thirds of the team, is you know developing, producing, distributing content, um, managing all of our social handles. So we have about 600 social handles. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the team is really focused on just building that community and that conversation with the audience. So uh, the primary, as as you just said, the primary reason is to uh, is to develop programming and find and for people for younger viewers where they are, which is incre increasingly on social platforms. Yep. Um, so that, I'm assuming that means today Facebook, Snapchat, YouTube. Are there other places you guys are looking at right now beyond, I guess, the big three or four social platforms? Uh, it, yeah, I mean, you know, I would say the five biggest social platforms: so YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Snap, and Twitter. Um, we also have a, a great presence on Musical.ly um, and continue to do well there. We are looking at other OTT and mobile platforms as potential opportunities down the road and are thinking about um, different experiences that we can bring to consumers essentially anywhere outside of linear television. So what kind of programming is it? Is it completely new things that kind of fit within the MTV brand or Comedy Central or is it like, I mean, because as far as I understand it, like your, your team is a t the team that's behind, say, MTV Cribs for Snapchat, right? Yes. Uh, so how much of it is, let's extend the things that we already have that have worked for us yep. to these newer platforms versus entirely new stuff? Yeah, I mean, the truth is right now we're doing a lot of experimenting. So the value in having a team like this is that um, we're dedicated to thinking about producing low-cost formats that, um, you know, can, can work financially in these uh, distributed uh, environments. And so it's a, it's a lot of experimentation right now. And I would say from brand to brand, we see different results, interestingly. Um, so in some cases, uh, it is leveraging linear television IP, but maybe it's doing it in a completely different way. So the example you brought up with Cribs on Snapchat is a good example where, you know, Cribs is a very long-running franchise on MTV, um, was really an iconic show for many, many years on MTV. Um, when Snap came to us and said, we'd love to, um, you know, develop a show with you for Snap, we wanted to do Cribs, but we knew we had to do it in a way that was completely different from the experience you had on TV. And so it was about taking that brand and thinking about, okay, if I'm a 17-year-old and I'm scrolling through Snapchat, what is going to be the thing that is going to catch me and, and how is that, how, how are we going to present um, that show to that audience? Because that's completely different than what Cribs used to be on television. Um, and it's worked really, really well. Um, and so in some cases, that, that is the answer, is it's just taking um, an idea and putting it in a new format. In other cases, it's taking talent who ha, um, you know, are very popular on our linear platforms and thinking about developing completely original shows with them. So a good example of that would be um, Jojo Siwa. Jojo was a 
successful YouTuber, um, you know, teenage girl. Um, we started working with her a couple of years ago at Nickelodeon. She hosts Lip Sync Battle Shorties. We've done some TV movies with her. Um, she's done a lot of hosting for us on Nickelodeon. So she's really well known with the Nickelodeon audience. Um, but she's a teenage girl. And um, as much as we'd like to, she can't be 15 forever. She's going to keep getting older. <laughs> and so um, one of the ideas that, that we had recently was wouldn't it be great to develop an animated series um, with Jojo because she'll be 15 forever. And she has, um, she has a, a dog in real life that she takes everywhere and her dog's name is Bobo and Bobo is like her BFF and she's always you know, bringing Bobo along. And so we created a new animated series at the Animation Lab in Burbank um, called the Jojo and Bobo Show Show. And um, it's five minute episodes and uh, it was developed you know, to live on the Nickelodeon channel for YouTube. Um, and so that's gonna be rolling out um, this summer. And then in other cases, it's completely original IP. So we announced a big creator program for uh, Comedy Central recently where we identified um, five up and coming creators uh, who we think are, are the next big comedic talent. They write, they perform they produce, um, and we announced them about a month ago, and they are developing a completely original um, daily comedy show for Comedy Central that's designed you know, for, for digital platforms. So you said earlier, uh, you know, m using social platforms to market linear is, is challenging. Um, with respect to all the, all, all the work that you guys are doing, isn't this just marketing? Like, isn't it marketing, or how much of it is marketing versus there's an actual business that we're trying to build behind all of this content. I think it's two steps. Um, I do think that step one is really focusing on the audience. Um, you know, uh, you have to, you know, I, I'm sort of thinking back to the, the previous presentation. Um, you do have to have a real authentic, very deep connection with people in these really noisy environments, right? Like people, all of us get bombarded with messages and it's just like content, 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 you know, constantly being thrown at us. Um, in order to cut through the noise, you do have to have an authenticity to your brand and your voice. Um, and when you spend a lot of time using your social platforms, to push overt messages at people, they start to tune it out, right? And so step one for us is how do we sort of deeply engage that audience and reconnect with that audience through these social platforms? Um, we have seen an immediate positive response from the audience in terms of um, watch time and, and participation in the conversation around the shows that we've been putting out there. So that is part one. Um, and, and is it a marketing platform? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess everything is a marketing platform, right? It is about um, having brands that people care about and having IP and, and shows and talent that people actually care about. Um, step two is, is obviously we all want to build businesses here. We, we're not doing this um, purely altruistically. And so uh, over the long run, yes, we do um, think about how people are consuming content. We are very aware and acknowledging of the fact that people are, especially younger audiences, are spending much more time consuming content 
on mobile devices, on demand, on mobile platforms, on OTT platforms, and that, um, you know, as brands, if we wanna continue to be relevant to these audiences, the brands have to live everywhere, and we have to have connections with them everywhere, not only on linear but TV. But how do you play, with a company the size of Viacom, right, like how, how do you look at it in the context of, the, the monetization path on most of these platforms is not guaranteed or is not, uh, not clear entirely, right? YouTube, yes. Uh, Twitter, yes. Like, there's a few places. So when you look at making these investments, like, yes, we're going to produce stuff. That's not, I mean, you said it's, it's at, a, at a much more financially viable mm -hmm. cost, uh, but at the same time, you're still putting money towards making stuff for these platforms. Yep. Is it easier because it's Viacom and you have a longer runway maybe? I, I don't know if you do, but like maybe you have a longer runway to say, let's make this content, let's be relevant to people on these platforms, we'll figure out monetization down the road. Like, how often are you thinking about that last piece? Um, we're certainly thinking about it, and uh, you know, if if I had the magic bullet for how to answer that question, we'd all be in a different place right now. Um, but step one for us is really about the audience and the engagement of the audience. Um, I do think that there are certain platforms where monetization is a little bit more obvious how you get there. Um, YouTube is a more mature monetization platform, for example, than Facebook. So, you know, monetizing content on YouTube, there is a pretty obvious path there, and it's a combination of media and sponsorships and brand integrations and branded content um, and, you know, potentially, um, you know, some, some over-the-top stuff through what YouTube's doing with, you know, their subscription services and YouTube TV and things like that. So with YouTube, it is... Um, somewhat obvious where the opportunities to monetize lie. Obviously with Facebook, it's um, a more developing environment and you know they're experimenting with a lot of different things on Facebook Watch. Um, we are participating in Facebook's alpha program for ad sales. Um, so we are partnering closely with Facebook to, to think about what those opportunities are. But um, Do you see I watches? don't disagree that long-term yeah. um, there, there will need to continue to be uh, distribution in environments where you can better monetize. I want to take a quick break here. If you find this session interesting, there's a lot more we can tell you about it in our event briefing. After every summit, we release a briefing on what was discussed at town halls, working groups, and state sessions. And if you describe to Digiday Plus, you can get these briefings too. Digiday Plus is our premium subscription product, and if you subscribe, you get the Digiday Magazine, event briefings, exclusive research, invites to member events. It's only $395 a year, and if you want a 25% discount, enter code PODCAST at checkout. So visit digiday.com and you will see the Digiday Plus tab on the menu. Now, back to the episode. Do you see Watch working out? Uh, uh, how confident are you on, on this product? I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, we, we, um, we have a, a very good relationship with Facebook. I know a lot of publishers are struggling with the relationship with Facebook right now. I would say our relationship with Facebook is really positive. They're very collaborative. We spend a lot of time talking to them. But I think... Um, I think that watch is pretty new. Um, we, we do see great viewership on the watch shows that we've produced. So we've seen the shows that we've done. You know, we just launched one a week ago. Um, 
uh, a new style show, and you know it got like five million views in the first week, so that's great. Um, so we definitely see the viewership there. I think the question is like over time, what is the video viewing experience on watch going to evolve into as things kind of move towards you know watch versus the news feed, and then how do publishers eventually start to build more meaningful businesses around it? Uh, you said Facebook is uh, is a great partner and can be very collaborative. Is that because you're Viacom and you're a bigger media company that you get a better better deal than maybe some others? Um, I don't know that it has to do with the size of our company. I think it has to, a, a little bit to do with the scale of our audience on the platform. Um, I I don't think it's. I Are don't, you able to like like I don't want to use the word hardball, but like. Do you feel that you have better leverage when you are talking to Facebook or negotiating with Facebook because it's the audience size or it's the brand recognition or it's just the company itself? Like, do you feel that you found it to be easier for you guys to get better terms or more favorable terms for, for Viacom because of Viacom? I would love to believe that's true, but no, I don't actually think mm. that we get any sort of um, favored position. I, I think that in general, um, Pretty much, you know, every digital studio that's been created in the last 10 years has something in their investor deck or their ad sales deck or something that says, we're going to be the next Viacom. We're going to be the next MTV. Our brand is going to be to this what MTV was to that, right? So Viacom still tends to um, be the... Uh, I'd say the idea in a lot of people's minds of if we could just create MTV for this, right? And the truth is we still are MTV. <laughs> and but we're still you, doing it. But you're a different and MTV than you used to be. Yeah, we're be a fair. different MTV, but, um, but I think that the brand has evolved as the audience and the platforms have evolved. And, you know, the MTV brand page alone has 50 million followers on Facebook. So, you know, does Facebook call the person that wants to be the next MTV or do they call MTV? Well, they call question, MTV. My question is, and it kind of ties into the purpose of digital studios, right? In terms of creating this programming for, for younger audiences uh, to ensure not, not only that MTV, Comedy Central, et cetera, are relevant, but they can be more relevant to this audience. Uh, is it too late? I mean, I mean, we're talking about an environment now where there are a lot more competitive brands that can lay claim to being compared to MTV, you've got complex news, you've got Vice yep. to a certain extent, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you just have a lot more digital players that you're competing with. Is it too late for Viacom or, and its brands to be relevant again in the way they used to be? Well, I certainly wouldn't be here if I believed that it was too late. I mean, I think the, the truth is that, um, you know, digital platforms have democratized the playing field and have opened up the opportunities for lots of digital studios to compete with Viacom, and I think that is a great thing. Um, I, I think it, the, the, the more great creators um, who are producing high-quality things for the audience, the better. Um, and so we certainly welcome the, the comparisons and, and whatnot. Um, I certainly don't think it's too late because we do still have brands that people genuinely care about. We have scale that far eclipses um, what almost anyone else in the industry can point to. And we have a team of, you know, 300 people who are focused every day on telling stories exclusively for this audience. I think it was a matter of just kind of shifting the focus and shifting the resources to take advantage of the opportunity. And what we've seen in the first six months is that the audience is responding. Um, you know, our watch time alone was up 78% in Q1. Across 
the board? across the, my, okay. the four brands that, that we're focused on. And it's because we're paying attention. Like we're, we're talking to the audience in a way that shows that we actually do care about them and we're creating content that speaks to them on the platform they're on. Um, in terms of, we haven't talked about this platform that much outside of a few references here or there, but Snapchat. Uh, Viacom's got an interesting relationship with Snapchat. I think you guys were maybe the first to have that broader content advertising deal a few years ago. Yeah. Now you obviously have renewed that and you're producing shows for them. Uh, but it's also interesting because if I remember correctly, you, like Comedy Central had a Discover channel, right? Yeah. Um, and that went away. Yeah. So what, what's the approach on Snapchat right now? Is it just going all in on shows? Because I know you also have the Discover channel. Like is, is mm -hmm. this still, how do you approach that platform? How do you th think of that platform? as a place for, for audience as well as revenue? Um, you know, Snapchat has been, uh, what, what we, we sort of think of Snapchat right now as like the home of MTV for Gen Z. Um, and, you know, the last couple of months we have renewed our conversations with Snapchat about BET and Comedy Central and, and some of the other brands there too. Um, and we do have um, some shows in development for both BET and Comedy Central. Um, in terms of you know, Discover versus shows, uh, I don't think we have any deep insight that anybody else has, which is that it seems to be consistently evolving. I mean, you know, they did the redesign. There was obviously some pushback on now the redesign. Now there's a redesign of a now redesign. Now there's a redesign of the redesign. And like everybody else, we're kind of going with the flow and figuring out um, what's working and what isn't there. What I can tell you is that um, from our own experience, the MTV Snap Discover Channel has continued to consistently perform well. We didn't see a huge drop off in viewership after the redesign. Do you see any drop off? Um, very almost no, not yeah. not materially. Mm -hmm. um, and and at the same time, we've continued to launch new shows. Um, so we have, you know, Cribs, which we talked about. Cribs is coming back for season two. We had Girl Code season one. We just um, released Girl Code season two. And we announced um, a new show uh, coming soon. And then we have got a, another one that's currently in pilot right now. So we continue to develop shows. I would say sort of the same thing, which is we have a, a regular conversation with Snap. It is a back and forth thing. Sometimes we bring them ideas and say we have an idea for a show. Sometimes they'll come to us and say, hey, we have this show and it feels like MTV. What do you guys think? Mm -hmm. And it is a very back and forth kind of thing. Um, the monetization is an ad sales driven one. So it, it is often grounded in like, okay, do we think this is an opportunity that works for the audience? Is it something that feels like the MTV brand or feels like the BET brand? And is it something that our ad sales team feels confident that they can monetize? And if all of those things are yes, then it's a go. Is it profitable for you guys? You're, yeah. On both shows and, and yeah, the Discover yeah. Channel? Yeah. And final question, um, do, you f do you tend to find a bigger audience for a show or the, the Discover Channel? Like, is there one that kind of has more interest among the community uh, these days? Um, that's a, I mean, on a, on a monthly basis, you know, the, the, it's a little bit apples and oranges, right? Because on a monthly basis, while the viewership is somewhat similar, mm -hmm. obviously the, the um, Discover Channel is a, a daily programming, right. right? Like we're programming it every single day. So we have a dedicated team that just programs the Discover Channel every day. Um, and so 
but the viewership, I would say, is similar between the channel versus the shows. Great. Uh, I think that's all the time we had. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. It was amazing. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you liked our show, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Anchor.fm. We would love to also hear from you, so leave us a review. Or you can email me at aditi at digiday.com. Thanks again for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.